0: Well, good evening. How are we doing? Yeah? Okay. There we go. Uh well, hey, my name is Josh Story. I am one of the young adult pastors here at Christ Chapel. Uh man, I love uh that we get to do this. I love that we get to come and uh worship together. So I'm excited to open the word tonight. Um if you will turn with me to Revelation chapter three. Revelation chapter three, we'll be hanging out there uh tonight. So when I was a sophomore in college, uh I had a buddy of mine named Kyle, and Kyle was like, hey bro. Uh, spring break's coming up, and I have this idea. Uh, when my brothers were in college, they went on this like, really epic like three-day, 30-mile like, canoe trip, and it sounded awesome, and I think we should go. And I was like, great, let's do it. And I said yes for, for two reasons. One, uh, we're millennials, and I didn't think we would actually do it because our follow-through is horrible, and so I was like, yeah, for sure. But it's like, no, we're not actually gonna do it, but we did. Um, two, I was like, on top of that, it doesn't really sound all that hard, right? Like, I mean, 30 miles is a lot if you're doing it in one day, but over three days, that's like 10 miles a day, right? When, by like 10 miles, it is 10, 10 miles. Um, but I was like, that doesn't really sound all that hard. So I was like, yeah, for sure, let's go, go and do it. So we uh, get all these other dudes, and we drive to a little town in the middle of nowhere called Silsby, Texas, and we meet this river guide who has like zero teeth, um, and we're like, cool, man. Uh, and so we see him. I mean... It's fine if you have no no teeth, no judgment there. I'm sure he was he was a delightful guy. Um, But we we saw him like, all right, let's let go. And so we we hop in this like canoe and we set off for this like three day, thirty mile long trip. And you know what I found when we started? I found that I was absolutely right. This wasn't very hard at all. We, like, hop in the canoe, and we're going, and, man, like, the water's smooth, and we're just cruising, and we're doing man things. We're trying to, like, grab fish with our bare hands and stuff like that, and we're just hanging out. And it was just, like, one of, like, the coolest couple of days I've ever had in my life. And I'm sitting there, and I remember on our second-to-last day, we, uh, we just kind of pull, pulled over, and we just sat there. we just, like, bro out, right, man? This is, like, the life. Like I distinctly remember thinking, man, like life can't get much better than it is right now because this is just this really cool, fun thing that we, we were doing. Um, and we're actually really bummed about the last day. So the last day comes, we wake up, and we're bummed, but we're like, we also want to go home because we haven't really eaten a whole lot. And so, like, Whataburger just sounds amazing. And so we're like, let's go burger is the prize, let's do it. And so we were also stoked because we only had seven miles left for the whole day. We had, we had just crushed it, right? So we're like, man, we only have seven miles left. At this point, no big deal. So we hop in the canoes and we start paddling, right? So we're about two hours in and it starts to sprinkle, which again is not a big deal because sprinkle is the most effeminate word in the English Dictionary. So I was like, "We got 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 this. It's just sprinkling." So we start paddling, right? And so sprinkling. Um, and then about 30 minutes after it starts to sprinkle, uh, that word. I hate that word. Um, anyway, uh, but uh, after it sprinkles, uh, the temperature drops like 20 degrees, and it gets really cold, really quick. And then the next thing we know, the bottom of the sky just falls out. I mean, it starts. Raining. And when I say raining, like not like any kind of rain, this is like a drenching, driving, soaking, like pelt you in the face kind of rain. Like it was, I mean, it was a downpour, right? In fact, it was so bad. Like I was a firm believer in God's promise to never flood the earth again until that moment in time, right? I was like, Lord, you promised and you lied to me. Like this is awful, right? And I mean, it's just coming down, right? But then I look up and this bolt of lightning just streaks across the sky. And so I go from like annoyed to worried really quick because I'm this dude in a metal canoe in the middle of a river surrounded by nothing. I'm like, I'm a lightning rod, right? And like, I go, this is not how I plan on going out. Like, I'm gonna get hit and I'm just gonna float and my parents are never gonna find my body. It's gonna be awful. It's like, this is not a great situation, right? And so I was like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We had no other option. We were like, well, we got to just keep paddling, right? So we just paddle, and the storm is just, I mean, it's just raging. Like, I mean, it's like the wind and the rain, just again, just pelting us in the face, right? So we're just going. But we have this hope because like, we only have seven miles, and we've been paddling for hours, right? So we just paddle, and we paddle, and we paddle. And every time we round a corner in the river, we're like, we have to almost be there. We've been paddling for so long, like we have to be there, right? And so we had, we're just going and going and going, Well, right when we feel like we're, we're like, about to be there, my buddy Kyle stands up in his canoe, and he blows the emergency whistle. Now, um, Kyle was a guy, I love the dude, but he's a little, like, whistle-happy, right? And so, so we had, like, told him, like, all right, bro, when we go on this trip, um, you're only to blow the whistle in case of, like, an actual emergency, right? So, like... If someone gets hurt, if someone's getting eaten by a bear, if you see a mermaid, because that's cool, and I would like to see that, right? And so, <laughs> like, like, if it's, like, something that we should actually know, then you can blow the whistle. So he stands up in his canoe, and he just starts blowing it. We're like, all right, cool. So at this point, though, the river is about a half a mile wide, and, like, the current is, is, is crazy. So we have to paddle, like, almost against the tide about a quarter mile to get to the shore. So we were just like paddling and paddling. And so we finally get to the shore, and we're like, all right, Kyle, what's up, bro? Like, why did you blow the emergency whistle? And through chattering teeth, he goes, Well, I was just really cold and wanted to put on a jacket. I'm like, what? He's like, Yeah, I was, I was just really cold and wanted to put on a jacket. And I don't know what it was like about that statement specifically, but like all of our pent-up like aggression and rage and hunger just like got poured out on Kyle. And we're like, really really like like you're so bad at canoeing that you can't like put it on in the canoe you had to make us like paddle all the way over. and like I and mean, then we just start yelling at him and we're just i mean everyone just and he's just like what did i do like i don't know and i mean we we're just like just the like our wrath is being poured out on Kyle and about that time the very last canoe with our last friends pull up and they interrupt us and they're like hey hey, guys stop um remember those houses that we saw like a little while while back we're like yeah like, well, there's was a, a lady on her porch, and we asked her how far it was to the dam where the river stops, and we're like, oh, thank God, how far? She said, like, 10 more miles. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, she said, like, 10 more miles. And, like, everything in me in that moment just felt, like, dejected. And I was like, no, like, that can't be, like we, like, we only had seven miles total, we can't have 10 more miles, that's... More than seven, and we've been paddling forever, and what like, "Wow, oh, what?" And the problem is that we had miscalculated, and we actually had 17 miles total for the whole day because we weren't as baller as we thought we were. <laughs> and we and we realized the right like in the moment when we think we're getting to the end, we're only just beginning. And I remember getting out of my canoe and just trudging to the shore and just sitting down in the mud, and the rain still coming down, the lightning still striking, the thunder still going. And I just remember sitting there thinking, I'm done. I'm out. Like, like I'm, I'm not going any further. Like, I quit. Like, this is not what I signed up for. Right? This is not what I signed up for. I'm out. And I bring that up because I feel like following Jesus creates very similar feelings. I feel like there are moments in time when, when, when we start to follow Jesus and we think, man, I didn't sign up for this. Because in, the, in this canoe trip, man, I, I was all about the canoe trip when, when I knew it was gonna be easy. I was all about the canoe trip when it was convenient. I was all about the canoe trip when everything was sunny and 75 and smooth waters. But the minute that I started to experience difficulty, I was like, I'm out. I feel like we interact with Jesus in the same way a lot of times. Where, man, when, when things are, are easy, when following Christ is convenient and fun and easy, man, we're all about it. But then the moment that things get difficult we have this temptation to say i'm done i'm out and we bail and maybe you're in the room tonight and you're walking in here and you're kind of in that place where you're like man i'm just tired i'm exhausted like i've been trying to follow christ and and do it well but man i i just don't know how much further i can go and that's a very common feeling Because the reality is that when we begin to follow Christ, very rarely are we told that it's going to require endurance. Very rarely, when we have that initial conversation of, man, I want to follow Christ, we're so excited about about grace and mercy and and all all these amazing things that come along with the gospel. But we forget to tell people, hey, this is also going to be really, really hard. This is going to require a lot of endurance. And so the moments when things get difficult, we tend to want to bail. So what we're going to find in our text tonight is that the church here in Philadelphia is a church that was actually really, really faithful. But they're on their last leg. They are at the very end of themselves. They're tired. They're exhausted. They don't want to go on. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to come alongside them, and he's going to give them some encouragement. And he's going to encourage them to press in and to endure. And so my hope is that, man, if you are walking in the room tonight and you're just tired, if you're just exhausted, if you're sitting here thinking, God, I need you to show me something. I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this thing. And if that's you, my hope tonight is that the Lord graciously speaks to you through the power of his word, and he encourages you to press in and to endure. That's my hope. So let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Let's pick it up. Revelation 3, starting in verse 1. Or not, sorry, in verse 7. My bad. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the true One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so there's, there's a lot here. So let me begin to kind of unpack what's um, going on here. Jesus starts off with this phrase um, where he introduces himself and says, hey, let them know that I have the authority of everything that has to do with salvation, right? There's, there's a door that is open and I'm the one who controls the door. I am the way, I am the way to salvation. I have that power, right? So, so he comes and he has this authoritative claim. He says, yo, let them know who I am, right? That I have authority. But then he says this, he says, I know your works. I know your works, right? And so um, I don't know about you, but every time that, that Jesus has said that in this series, I just kind of cringe a little bit. Because that's a terrifying statement. He says, Yo, I know your works. I also know my works, and I don't want Jesus knowing about my works half, half the time, right? Like, like that is a, a terrifying statement, that he knows my works, right? And, and for the majority of this series, we've seen Jesus say, hey, I know your works, and then he comes down on it pretty hard, right? He says, man, I know your works, and you have, I mean, you have lost sight of your first love. I know your works, and you have, you have compromised on your theology, right? But that's not what he does here. He he brings encouragement. He says, hey, I know your works. In verse 8, behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That is huge. He says, I know your works. I, I know that you are small. I know that you don't have a lot of power, but I know that you have been faithful, that you have not denied me. okay. What that implies is that they had ample opportunity to deny Jesus, right? And they did. So let me kind of explain historically what's going on here. Um, scholars believe that the church in Philadelphia was a church that had been um, expelled from Jewish community. And I'll explain why that's important. Um, when you are a, a Roman citizen, you were required by law to participate in the imperial cult, right? Um, it was and if you did not participate in the imperial cult, you were counted as someone who was committing treason, right which you did not want to do. The Jewish people, though however, they had an exemption if they paid a certain tax, they could on a religious basis because they were a monotheistic um, religion, they could pay a certain tax, and they didn 't have to follow the imperial cult. so what happens is you have all these Jewish Christians, right? These these people who were Jewish and all of a sudden they recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as their Savior. And so what they do is they start to worship Jesus. And so within the Jewish synagogue here in Philadelphia, we have these people who are in there and they are informants for the Roman government. And so what they do is they go to the Romans and they say, hey, these Jewish Christians, they're fake Jews. They're not actually Jews. They just don't want to participate in the imperial cult. And so what happens is they start dragging them out, and they start to persecute these Christians because their fellow Jews are turning on them, right? And so in that instance, if you are being persecuted by the government because of your treason, what happens is that you have three options. Either you run back to Judaism and say, no, no, I don't believe in that Jesus guy, or you participate in the imperial cult and say, no, no, I'm just kidding. I I don't know that Jesus guy. Or you say, no, I know Jesus, and I don't care. And that's what's happening. They've had ample opportunity to make the pain stop. They they could have run back to Judaism. They could have run and just submitted to whatever Rome was saying. But they're experiencing this persecution. And he's saying, hey, I know what's going on. I know that you have had every opportunity to denounce me. But you haven't. you haven't. And he commends them for it. He says, man, I'm, I'm seeing this. I know how faithful and steadfast you are despite the persecution. And he commends them for it. That's amazing. But let me tell you why I think his commending of the church is so cool. But Jesus commending the the church for their steadfastness. He shows us that, that Jesus himself understands how hard it is to follow him. Like how hard it is to follow Jesus. That's not lost on him. He's not oblivious to how hard it is to follow him. Right? He says, hey, look, I know this is hard. I know that, that you are experiencing all these things, but, man, you're steadfast and you're faithful. You've endured. I love that. Way to go. Right? I, Hebrews 4 tells us that we don't have a high priest who is unsympathetic to our pain, that, that Jesus has come and that he was a man, so he knows everything that we have experienced, yet he is without sin. So whatever you experience, man, he has walked it, so he, so he gets it. And I love that Jesus gets how hard it is to follow him because can we all agree that man, sometimes it's really, really hard to follow Christ. it's so hard to follow Christ. And I think there are so many moments in time when we are just tempted to bail. Just tempted to quit. Let me give you a couple examples. I think one of the reasons why we are tempted to bail on following Christ is because after a while you learn that, that following Jesus doesn't always get you ahead in life. Following Christ doesn't always get you ahead in life. So, um, maybe you see this at work and maybe you have a a very clear standard of how you want to work You're like man i'm i'm gonna be honest i'm gonna love people i'm gonna care more about people than i do about projects or results or whatever else man i want to love people the way that christ has loved me right but then there's that guy he's so unethical he's a liar and everyone knows it yet he gets results and so he gets promoted. He gets the bonuses. He gets all, all these things. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, like I'm actually doing this thing right. Like, like I'm doing this way that Christ has called, called me to, but, but he always wins. Then it would be so much easier just to, to bail on this whole following Christ thing, man. Then I would at least get ahead in life, right? I mean, that's so hard. That's so hard. Or um, maybe you see, see this play out in relationships. Maybe you're a woman in here and you're thinking, man, I've spent a lot of time trying to, to grow as a, a godly woman, right? Um, a, a, kind of, a, a woman that a godly man would, would desire, right? And so you're in here and you're, you're all up on that Proverbs 31 woman grind, right? You know? And you're sitting there and thinking, man, I'm trying to like just grow and be this, this godly woman, right? And then you look around and, and all these, these men, you find that they're drawn to like that girl. You know what I'm talking about? Like, 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 like that girl. And you're thinking, like, that girl couldn't find Proverbs 31 if you gave her a table of contents, right? You're like, <laughs> that girl, right? I know you're thinking it, right? And you're sitting there, and you're like, like life would be so much easier. Like, like if I just, like, like did away with whole, this whole following Christ thing, then, man, I would get ahead. Then I could get a guy to notice me, right? Like, 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 we've all been there, like, these moments in time when we realize that, man, sometimes following Christ means that we don't get ahead in life the way that we want to. We're tempted to just bail because it's Easter. Man, I think another reason is we, we find that, man, following Christ is so hard, and, and it's not always a popular thing. Right? So, so, so maybe you grew up in, in, in the context where, man, following Christ was actually cool and, and fun and, and normal and, and praised, right? And then you go off to college, and all of a sudden you, you realize that, man, your professors think you're an idiot, right? And, and your friends think, think that you're a prude. And so you're out there, and you're like, man, like, like my friends think, think I'm weird. My professor thinks I'm a moron, and, and I, I don't know. And we think, man, I'm, I'm just going to stop. Like, like, this is the most unpopular thing that I could believe in college. So we bail because we think, and it's just easier. Like, I'm, I make more friends. I have more favor if I stop following Christ, right? Or maybe you grew up in the context where, man, it was actually pretty hostile. Right and, and, and the things of God was a pretty hostile thing. So, so you start following Christ, and all of a sudden your family doesn't get it. And your friends, they don't get it. And, and you're being pers- persecuted by, by, by your friends and your family and those who you love. And you're like, man, like, I'm, I'm so new in my faith, I don't quite know how to defend it yet. I'm, I just don't know what, what to do. And so we just think, oh, never mind. And so we bail because it's easier. Let me give you just one last, last example. You know one reason I think might be like the primary reason we are so prone to bail. I think for a lot of us, we've been sold a false gospel. I think a lot of us, we start to follow Christ and we find that Christ isn't actually who we thought he was. And we find, man, I, I signed up to follow a very specific Jesus, and, and, and the Jesus that I'm finding is not the one that I signed, signed, signed up for. Because some of us are are told that, man, once you start following Christ, man, everything's going to be easy. Like, all your problems will go away, all of your stresses, all of your anxieties, right? Like, you will be be successful, and Christ is going to fix all that stuff. It's going to be awesome, man. Follow Christ, and all your problems go away, right? Make no mistake, following Jesus definitely makes your life better, but it does not make your life easier. Following Christ absolutely makes your life better, but it does not make your life easier. If anything, it makes your life a whole lot more complicated. And Jesus himself in John 15, he says, hey, I want you to know the world is going to hate you. You know why? Because it hated me first. Like it hated me to the point of murdering me. What makes you think that the world's not going to hate you for following me? Jesus is very clear that, man, our life following him is not a life free from trouble." We are not promised a life free of trouble. We are promised, however, an ever-present help in our time of trouble. So if you wake up one day and you're disillusioned because you realize, man, this whole following Jesus thing, like this isn't what I signed up for. I signed up for a Jesus that makes my life easier. Then you didn't sign up to follow Jesus. You were sold a false picture of Jesus. So make no mistake, Jesus makes your life better, but he does not make your life easier. And I think that in these moments, we we find, man, this is so hard. This is so difficult. What what do we do? How do we keep going in the moments when we're tempted to bail? And take heart that that, that Jesus understands this, that that your pain, that your anxiety, that, that your frustration, that's not lost on Jesus. It's not lost on Jesus. And what Jesus does is he gives this church and he gives us as well this charge of how we are to respond. Look at verse 11. He says, "I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown." He says, "I'm coming soon, and hold fast. Hold fast." That's the charge that he gives us. He says, "Hey, hey, I know that you're in pain, I know that, that the things are hard. I know that you want to bail, but hey, you need to hold fast. Don't, like, don't stop, like, like press in, don't, like, leave, like, stay the course, hold fast. That's his answer to us. Now, can we agree that that's a lot easier said than done? I mean, what, like, like, the audacity to say that. Because, like, remember, like, he's not talking to a a people who are being persecuted by their friends at work. He's talking to a people who are being charged with treason. The Roman government is charging them with treason. And he says, hey, I know what you're up up against. Hold fast. Hold fast. Why would he say that? Why would he say that? It's really simple. It's because there is a reward for enduring that makes the endurance worth it. There's a reward for enduring that makes the endurance worth it. Let me show you. He says it in the same verse. He says, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. He says, hold fast so that no one may seize your crown. Okay, what does that mean? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nerd out for a second, but I think this is one of the most beautiful concepts in all of scripture, okay? There are, are two Greek words in the New Testament for the word crown. There is diadema and stephanos. Diadema is where we get the word diadem, and it's a royal crown with, with jewels that, like, like, a king would wear. So, like, when, when we think of, like, Flav of Flav kind of crown, right, like, that's, like, diodema, right? Um, <laughs> I, I lost half the room. All the, all the kids are like, who are you talking about? Diodema, um, <laughs> right? Stephanos is the other word, right? And Stephanos is not a, a, a royal crown. Stephanos is a word that means the laurel wreath that you would win as a prize for winning an athletic event. It is the crown that they would give Olympians when they won events. And the word that he's using here is Stephanos. When he says, hey, hold fast so that you don't lose your crown. He's not talking about some royal crown with jewels so we can be all blinged out in heaven. He's talking about this reward, this prize. He's talking about a prize that you get when you actually finish the race. He says, hey, you are running a race that is difficult, you're running a marathon. This is not a sprint. You're running a marathon. So hold fast, press in, endure, so that no one may seize your prize, your trophy, your reward. Now, what is he talking about? What is that reward? It's Jesus. The reward is Jesus. And and, and depending on where you are, that's either going to be the most refreshing, life-giving truth, or it's going to be super underwhelming. It's going to be super underwhelming. And let me explain. The reward is Jesus. And so this is it. The gospel tells us this, that our sin is a big deal. Scripture is so clear that our sin makes us enemies of God, that we are strangers. It calls us children of wrath. Like our sin separates us from God in a crazy way. And it says that the wages of our sin is death. So when we sin, when we rebel against the God of the universe, there is a hostile relationship between us and God. That's a bummer. But the good news of the gospel is that in the greatest, most over-the-top act of love the world has ever known, Jesus, the perfect, holy, sinless son of God, he came for us. He said, hey, I'm going to be a man. I'm going to walk among them. I'm going to live the life they couldn't live. And he died in our place. He absorbed the wrath of God for us on the cross. And then he died. But then he rose from the grave. And when he rose, he conquered the power of sin and death forever. And now he has ascended and he is seated at the right hand of a God interceding for us, serving as our, our advocate, as First John says. He's our advocate. He is pleading our case. Right? So, so now when God sees you, God doesn't see your, sin. He doesn't see your guilt or your shame. There's, there's, there's no hostility there. He doesn't see you as a child or wrath. He sees you as a son or a daughter, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Christ has, has made that possible for us. That's incredible. But that's not where it stops. If that's where it stops, that, that would alone be incredible. But, but Christ has made a promise that he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to make all things new. He's going to restore everything that's been broken by the curse of sin. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, if you keep running this race, if you don't bow out, if you don't walk off the track, man, there is a crown at the finish line. There is a prize. There is a reward at the finish line waiting for you, and it's me. It's right relationship." It's the fact that you get to approach the throne of a God with boldness and with confidence, with no fear or anxiety. Because when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees what I've done for you. And he paints this beautiful picture of how this is gonna play out. Let me read this to you, this is Revelation 21. This is one through five. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city of the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell among them, and they will be his people. And God himself, listen to that, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's the crown. That's the prize. That's what we're enduring for. The fact that there's coming a day where where we get to stand before God and there's no more pain or crying or or, or heartache, no more abuse, all this stuff is gonna pass away and we get God. That's the beauty of the gospel, that we get God. Again, that's either gonna be the most beautiful thing that you've heard today, or that's gonna be extremely underwhelming. And I get it. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, may those who have ears to hear, hear. So my hope is, is, is that you have ears to hear, that, that you hear that. And, and there's a stirring in your heart. And you think, man, like, that's beautiful. That, that is worth running. That, that makes everything else pale in comparison. But, but I can't make you believe that. What I can tell you is that you can chase whatever it is you want to chase, but I can guarantee you it's going to leave you unfulfilled and unsatisfied. It may bring pleasure for a season. It may bring satisfaction for a moment. But it's never going to fulfill the way that Christ has promised. And it's never going to provide an eternal fix for your pain, and for your trial, the way that Christ has as so we press in and we hold fast because we have this crown and Christ is saying, don't miss out on the reward. Don't miss out on the prize, man. Just keep going. Keep going. When, uh, when we found ourselves on the shore, just getting rained on, um, none of us wanted to move. We just wanted to sit there and just stay there. And thank God for uh, a guy in our crew named Tyler Hansen. Tyler was from Houston, but talked like he was from the back, backwoods. And so he walks up to us, and he goes, uh, he goes all right, boys, I see we've got two options here. I'm like, all right, bro, what is it? And he goes, we can sit here on the shore and die. <laughs> all right. I go, that sounds amazing, actually. And he goes, or we can get in our canoe, and we can go home. And I don't know about you boys, but I want to go home. And he re- was like, yeah, let's go, right? And so we're like, that's so inspiring. And so we hopped in, and we had no other option. We're like, let's just just go. And so we hopped in our canoes, and we just paddled paddled, and we paddled, and we paddled, and we paddled, and we paddled for 10 miles. And the rain didn't stop. The thunder didn't stop. The lightning didn't stop. Nothing stopped. The storm kept going, and we were tired, and we were aching, and our muscles didn't want to move, and we were shivering. We were starving. But we're like, we have, like let's, let's just keep on going. And one moment, we turned a corner, and we saw it. We saw the end. And, and we let out this giant whoop because we're Aggies and have no other way to express ourselves. Um, come on, guys. Let's turn down a little bit. And we're in there, and we just see the end. And All of a sudden, we're filled with this new energy, this, this, this excitement. And we, uh, we have this, oh, we're like, we're home. We're home. And we pull up, and I cannot begin to describe to you the joy that we felt when we saw our toothless river guy. <laughs> I've never been so excited to see a person in my life. And when I think back about that moment, I can't help but think, if we were that stoked to see our toothless river guy. How much more exciting and glorious will it be when we get to come home and Jesus is standing at the door and he says, hey, you're home. You made it. My good and faithful servant, you're home. Come on, let's go. Like, how beautiful is that? He says, I know it was hard. I know what you endured. I, I saw it all. I know this wasn't easy, but you made it. And we get to stand before God healed and whole with no more grief or pain or crying. Us in God, face to face, how does that not psych you out? And so my hope for us as a people that we, that we don't miss out on that. Why would we trade something so meaningless and so temporary for the glory? Of getting to know our God without guilt or without shame. Christ has already purchased that for us. All we have to do is hold fast. Hold fast. Let me pray, Father. I am. Um, I know there are people in here. Myself included, who are who are tired, who are weary, who are exhausted and burdened and and think about how much easier it would be to just to stop. Maybe sin is rocking us. Maybe we're craving popularity or we're just trying to get ahead in life or Whatever it may be, but we're just so tired. Will you speak to us? Will you allow the truth of your word to stir our hearts, to give us a new energy and a new excitement to understand why we're running, why we're in this thing? Will you give us the power to hold fast and to not lose sight of the crown, to lose sight of the prize? May we run with endurance, may we surround ourselves with other believers who are running the same race who can challenge us and push us. May we not lose heart. May we hold fast because we understand the beauty of what you've accomplished for us on the cross. Give us the power to do that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.